0: Welcome to the London Walks podcast. This episode, Halloween London. So here we are, Adam. It's uh, it's that time of year again, isn't it? It's that time of year again, Andrew. It's Halloween. Halloween. Cusp of Halloween. I've just finished Ghosts of the Old City, and uh, you've just finished your walking tour. Hidden pubs. Hidden pubs. Uh, They ain't hidden no more. Well done. (laughs) We were asking on, on Twitter today, uh, at London Walks, so we were asking, who, who's your favourite screen vampire? Mm. Um, who, who would yours be Andrew do you have a particular favourite movie oh, no, vampire I, d- I, so I know you're a real buff of this but I, I, don't, I, I'm not, I don't know an enormous amount about this I mean Gary Oldman is probably as far as a, I mean who was that there was one great one wasn't he who was the, the, the was he Romanian who was the Bela Lugosi him? yeah the original yeah, but he um, was frightening he was terrifying the original American uh, Hollywood vampire yeah the, uh, or Dracula um, where we get the idea of the opera cape and the uh, the the evening dress and the the middle or Eastern European accent yeah he's uh, really the, the 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 cinema benchmark yeah uh, and Christopher Lee's yeah Christopher British Lee. Dracula uh, with the Hammer Studios is very much a, a, a direct descendant of Bella Lugosi ah. as Andy suggested there I am indeed a bit of a sucker for a horror story and so for Halloween. I'd like to take a look at the Big Five fictional monsters in a London context. The Big Five being the vampire, the man-made monster, the shapeshifter, the mummy, and the zombie. We begin with Dracula. Or should I say, we begin begin, 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 with with Dracula. In emulation of the great Bram Stoker himself, we're going nowhere near the Carpathians. We're staying home here in London. Stoker's research, according to his great-nephew, the writer Dan Farson, was done right here in Bloomsbury at the British Museum. Dracula was written by Bram Stoker in 1897. An epistolary novel, might we call that a multimedia novel today? told in a pacey mix of recordings, journals, transcripts, newspaper reports, letters and prose. Dracula appears briefly near the beginning of the novel and then disappears for around 90 pages. I have never been able to decide whether this is bad construction in an over-excitable narrative or the expert architecture of suspense building. Whatever the case, the result is undeniably dramatic. The longer Dracula is absent from the narrative, the bigger and more menacing the character becomes. (coughs) Stoker was the manager at the Lyceum Theatre for the great Shakespearean Sir Henry Irving. It will come as no surprise that this famous old theatre as a ghost story all its own. They are a superstitious bunch, these theatricals. In the 1880s, a couple attending a play at the Lyceum Theatre happened to peer over the balcony, only to see a severed head resting in the lap of a woman sitting in the stalls. The head grinning grimly. A number of years later, on a visit to Yorkshire, the couple immediately recognised the face of the severed head in a portrait of a man who had once been the owner of the land where the Lyceum Theatre now stands. He had been beheaded for treason. Yorkshire is appropriate in the context of Stoker, given that the wicked Count Dracula enters this country via the sedate Yorkshire seaside town of Whitby. In updating the legend of the vampire to late 19th century London, Bram Stoker perhaps reveals more than he set out to show about the mindset of the Victorian era. Within the pages of Dracula do we find fear of the coming war, doom and the death of the Empire approaching from overseas, Can we read the xenophobia of an island race between the lines? On stage, the first actor to play Dracula was that stalwart of stage and screen Raymond Huntley, who played the character at the now-demolished Little Theatre on John Adams Street, and thereafter at the Duke of York's on St Martin's Lane. He declined the offer to take the role to Broadway, where the part was instead taken by a fella called Bella Lugoti. I am Dracula. Stoker is said to have been inspired to write his tale following a nightmare, brought about by eating too much dressed crab late at night. In this, his tale has something in common with the other central pillar of horror fiction, Frankenstein. Frankenstein. <laughs> Mary Wollstonecraft Shelley was born in Somers Town, London, in 1797. Her most famous work, Frankenstein, or the modern Prometheus, was written in the aftermath of a nightmare. At this point, we might also nod to Robert Louis Stevenson, whose strange case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde was also born in the clammy grasp of Morpheus. Frankenstein was famously composed at Lake Geneva in Switzerland and published in 1818. The story made its first appearance on the London stage at the Saxe-Coburg Theatre, the theatre now known as the Old Vic at Waterloo. The Old Vic too, here we go again, has its own ghost story, that of an actress caked in blood, refusing to take her final bow. A further dramatic London connection with Frankenstein can be found in South London, in Forest Hill Road, East Dulwich, the birthplace of Boris Karloff. From Forest Hill to the Hollywood Hills, Karloff brought the creature to the screen in James Whale's 1930s big screen version for Universal Pictures. It's alive, it's It's moving. It's alive. It's alive, it's alive, it's alive. Karloff also turned his hand to the mummy on screen. The fashion for all things ancient Egypt, Egyptomania, gripped London and the Western world in the 19th century. The Petrie Museum of Egyptology at UCL is a London treasure trove of small-scale artefacts of ancient Egypt and the mummies and sarcophagi at the British Museum remain popular today. Cleopatra's needle on the embankment is said to generate strange, occult and supernatural phenomena all its own. Tutankhamun's curse also has its London connection. The 1922 expedition being led by Kensington-born archaeologist Howard Carter. The death of amateur Egyptologist Lord Carnarvon, present at the opening of the tomb, from blood poisoning some six months after the exhumation of King Tut's treasures, spawned the enduring tale of the curse of the pharaohs. And, sure enough, every man involved in the breach of Tutankhamun's tomb in 1922 was dead within 60 years. Dracula, Frankenstein's monster, the mummy. Christopher Lee, the legendary screen actor who died earlier this year at the age of 93, laid all three. The famous Hammer Film Studios made the British horror films for which he will ever be remembered between 1957 and 1974. The movies may seem silly or tame to the modern viewer. They are camp and creaky at best, some say. Yet, to many of us of a certain age... Christopher Lee's Dracula, operatically sinister, stalks our nightmares to this very day. The company's old office, Hammer House, can still be seen in Wardour Street, Soho. And Soho is where we find our London shapeshifters, starting with this guy. Warren Zivon's 1978 track Werewolves of London features Lee Ho Fook restaurant in Gerrard Street, Chinatown, now the less lyricist-friendly Dumplings Legend restaurant, where the hairy-handed gent who ran a muck in Kent goes to have himself a big dish of beef chow mein. I saw a werewolf with a Chinese menu in his hand Walking through the streets of Soho in the rain Our own Soho shapeshifter is Dr. Henry Jekyll, as discussed in an earlier podcast Stevenson's good doctor who unleashes his evil Mr. Hyde within. Our paucity of werewolf folklore in this country can perhaps be explained by the fact that wolves were extinct here by the 18th century thanks to deforestation and hunting. So we are left to look to an American song and, of course, An American Werewolf in London, the 1981 John Landis movie starring Griffin Dunn and featuring a memorable scene where our central character wakes up stark naked in the wolves' enclosure at London Zoo following a night on the Lysanthropic Rampage. Locations in otherwise sedate Kensington and Hampstead also feature in a film that deftly blends big shocks with bleak laughs. Precious few laughs are to be had from zombies on screen of late, the zombie being the monster du jour of contemporary popular fiction. The relentlessly harrowing US series The Walking Dead, which stars London-born actor Andrew Lincoln, has just embarked on its sixth gruesomely compelling season. London does not have a long tradition of zombies, although if you've ever travelled by tube in the London rush hour, you may well want to take umbrage with that statement. And although the undead are comparatively recent arrivals to the bloody banquet of London monsters, their impact, in the shape of Danny Boyle's 2002 film 28 Days Later, is powerful indeed. Many of you will know Danny Boyle as that nice man behind the 2012 Olympic opening ceremony. But back in 2002, he was involved in much less tourist-friendly fare. In 28 days later, a virus has been unleashed on the capital, turning its residents into flesh-eating zombies, who stalk the deserted streets looking for prey. If you've ever complained that London is too crowded, see this movie, and you'll never want to have the city's streets to yourself again. The sight of overturned red buses in Whitehall, Docklands laid waste, a raging river of rats cascading through the Blackwall Tunnel, fleeing monsters so frightening that even the vermin is terrified. All kindling for raging nightmares, sure to torch the tinder-brittle rest of Londoners for as long as there are ravens at the tower. Happy 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 Halloween. Halloween. The London Walks podcast was compiled, produced and presented by Andy Hallett and Adam Scott Goulding. For details of the full programme of London Walks, London's best guided walking tours, go to www.walks.com. The London Walks podcast was an APB production.